0: coffee drinkers, bass players, guys and girls around the world traveling as a musician, traveling with instruments, traveling with gear. That's the theme of this episode. I reached out to um, a bunch of you on Telegram, got some great feedback, some questions uh, I want to answer and information I want to bring you about this kind of difficult subject to approach. It's something that's ever-changing. It's something where we all have different needs and this is not just talking to bass players obviously i know a little bit more about that than other uh instrumentalists um but we are going to talk about kind of across the board some you know potential best practices when you leave the house with your beloved and uh, precious gear and go away to play music to work to go on the road to be on tour to do Fly dates, one-offs, whatever your situation might be. Now, to that end, it's really important to ask yourself, before we get into all this information, before you get out your pen and paper, I really suggest you have something to take notes on, or you're going to have to listen back to this and pick out pieces or find, oh, that thing was really useful, but was it at minute 33 or was it minute 17? It's not gonna be a short one. I've got a ton of information to give you. So get a pencil and paper um, if this information is something you really wanna integrate into your process. But it's very important to ask yourself what your needs are. How much do you fly? How much do you travel? And as you listen through this podcast, does any of this information make sense for you? Are there parallels between what I'm talking about through my experiences of traveling as a professional musician and where you perhaps even you might not be doing it right now, but maybe your goals are to do that? Or maybe you're having exactly the same experience. Maybe you're only having 10 percent of the same experience you're going to hear me talking about, really important to be uh, aware of the context um, because there is no one size fits all. There's no one solution for every musician, every instrument, every every situation. So really important to be, to have this, put this in context. Um, and there are for sure, I, I would I, I would hazard a guess that there are going to be a few concepts that I talk about today that are going to be across the board, just the best practice, no matter what you do, where you travel, how you travel, what you play. Um, but some of them are definitely going to be for the professional musician um, who's traveling a lot, flying, taking a lot of flights a year, do tour bus stuff, uh, sideman, freelance, band leader, all those kind of things. So Basically, we're talking about quite a wide range here. So don't let uh, any of the stuff that maybe isn't applicable to you put you off. Because even if, you know, even if you don't think it's applicable to you right now, you may well come up against those situations in the future. So it's good to pay attention and get as much information as you possibly can. I am, of course, not the sole location, sole source of information on this. So I, I encourage you to ask questions always around people you respect and people you know who also do something similar to me uh, when it comes to traveling as a musician. I will guarantee you there will be a lot of parallels. Like if you go speak to all, all the you know all my friends, if you talk about like Tim Lafave and uh, you know t- the touring bass players, I am sure there are going to be a lot of parallels. John Davis, all the cats, you know who who do who do what we do, um, going to be a lot of a lot of war stories, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the same kind of issues coming up and and very similar solutions. And I've learned a lot from asking questions from uh, of people like that and just paying attention eyes and ears open, mouth generally shut, uh, unless I have a good question, and, and always kind of learning a lot. Um, before we get into the meat of the podcast, don't forget, tour dates, uh, August 22nd, London, Pizza Express, Manchester, August 23rd at Stoller Hall, uh, Monaco, Le Nôtre Bleu, August 24th, we're in Helsinki on August 25th, August 26th is the Rhythm Festival in Viliandi. All tickets at yannickwizdala.com right there on the homepage. And uh, as we count down to August 13th, for all you uh, Harmony nerds out there, I have a new book on the way. The pre-order is happening now, The Bass Player's Guide to Altered Chords and Scales. I am like beyond psyched about this one. I'm putting the finishing touches to it this week. It's coming out August 13th and it's uh, available at the website. Everyone who pre-orders before August 13th gets access to, uh, is, is, is included is access to a live Harmony Masterclass the day after the book comes out, August 14th. And that will only be for people who, uh, who were in there on the pre-order early doors. And we're going to talk about Harmony, of course, about altered uh, vocabulary and chords and how all that works. And I'll, I'll take all your questions for two hours on the 14th. Okay, that's it. Ads are over. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of traveling, of being... Away from home with your instrument as a musician. One of the Oh, excuse me, we are one sick family this uh this week and COVID and yeah, it, it ended up being that and Chelsea's hit her pretty bad right now and she's in bed and I'm I'm just about over it, but it's been a bit of a brutal week. So excuse the uh the extra nasally stuff on this episode. But yeah, I, I guess the, the biggest portion of the travel element for me because I live in America, because it's so common to go to the airport um, when you need to go somewhere, especially as I don't tour in the US that much. And even when I do, it's not like there's so much stuff drivable and close to Los Angeles. I'm generally getting on a plane. I would say flights are not a bad place to start. I've had a ton of questions about flights and about everything that goes into the whole process, the booking, the How you do it, how you avoid issues and and all the rest of it. So I would say let's go to some things that I wish I had started doing earlier. And at the same time, uh, I'm recommending this. I'm also aware it's just not possible for every situation you might find yourself in, because if you're working as a freelance musician for someone else, they're not always going to want to let you do this first suggestion I have, which is booking your own Flights if you have a tour or a date or something um, i'll tell you now i haven't let someone book a flight for me in over well over a decade um, and that has that has just given me so much control and lowered the stress levels on basically all the things i 'm about to talk about in the podcast so Obviously, I know it's not possible if you're 25 and you're with, you know, an artist who's with a record label, they have a travel department, you're probably still sharing hotel rooms, they're trying to get you on the cheapest flights possible, they're trying to do everything cheap, 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 they're not about to say, hey, yeah, Dave or or, or Stuart or whatever or Susie, like, yeah, go ahead, book your flights and we'll we'll just, um, you know, we'll just throw the extra money in your check at the end of the month. That's not always an, uh, an option. But it is something to think about heading towards, and whenever you get the option, you gain so much control from booking your own travel um and you have to be good at it like you can't be like, "Hey, I've got it, I'll get my flights and then be missing things and like booking the wrong day you You can't make any mistakes when you do that because you know you don't want to show up a day late for a gig and that that just means you don't have a gig anymore so. What that gives you access to is the ability to pick and choose who you fly with and how you fly. Now, there are many, many different levels on that on that spectrum of where you're at in your career, how much money there is in the travel budget of who you're working with, or perhaps you're working, as I do quite often now, as a band leader, so you get to make those decisions and you get to choose how much money you're going to spend on travel. But if you're booking your own flights, you get to at least make that choice. You don't get the... Uh, Plain lottery. You know, I remember early 2000s, I'd been living in New York for a couple of years, and I'd been doing this and that, like fly dates here and there. But when I really started to go on the road and play dates all over the U.S., that was a time 20 years ago really now uh, that I was really traveling a lot over the U.S., it would be a different airline every single weekend. I'd do a lot of weekend, like Thursday through Sunday, and it'd be like fly out from New York and play Phoenix, San Diego, San Francisco, Portland, and then come home or something like that. So one long-haul flight to the West Coast, probably three puddle jumpers in between to get around the West Coast, and then one long-haul flight back across the country again. And you did five flights on five different airlines. Back then it might be America West and then uh, uh, Delta and then, uh, northwest, I, you know, it would just be terrible. And I was like hardcore into carrying my base on. It was the most precious thing I owned. There's no way I was checking it. We are going to get to all of that, by the way, because um, I now think that's kind of bullshit. Uh, but there you go. I was young. I was inexperienced. And had I heard from someone like I'm, you know, giving this information to you now back then, uh, I think my stress levels would have been way lower for the first decade of touring uh as a as a freelance musician so what you get to do when you book your own flights is probably my my biggest um uh, uh, suggestion is that you try and do all of your miles and all of your flights with the same airline and if not the same airline the same alliance now i'll from my uh my end i fly united i have done for almost 20 years. I think I got my mileage plus card 20 years ago. What I did back then when I was flying all those random airlines was I did get the mileage card. I did at least do that. I got a mileage card with every single airline. I didn't quite understand that some of those airlines were in the same alliance. US Airways, Air Canada and United, for instance, were three people in the same alliance. I should have just used one card with the three airlines instead of showing the different card each time I flew each airline. So that was a little bit of a rookie mistake back then. But what what I what I have been doing is flying the same airline um, very consistently for just over twenty years. I've done over two million miles with United. I've been there in their top tier uh, in terms of status um, airline status for uh, I think this is my nineteenth year in a row of being uh, their top tier, which is called One K. Now all the, the big three the Delta, American, and United in the US, for instance, all have similar programs similar loyalty programs and similar benefits they they vary a little bit of course and the way you qualify for those programs definitely varies and i couldn't really research all of them i just don't have the time right now for this podcast i did look a little bit into american airlines which i'll get to in a minute um notice some interesting differences between how you qualify for the two different top tiers but that really affords you um some relaxation that really affords you a, a, a downgraded anxiety or maybe an upgrade less anxiety i will take that as an upgrade um because I, I really think especially in the us um and then you know talking about budget airlines in europe forget about it sleazy jet and uh german wings and the ryanair and all those ones forget about it i don't even know if you ha- can, can have a status with those airlines but basically i look at it that... Almost every airline sucks unless you have status with them. I'm sure if I flew United with no status, just forget about it. I mean, you're just there in the big line to check in. You're there paying for every bag. You're there, last person on the plane. Overheads are full. You're always in coach. You always get middle seats. You're always in the back of the aircraft. You know, you, you, you're the one that doesn't have access to last minute flights, to last minute changes to award travel. There are so many benefits you don't get when you don't have status. And I think when I, especially when I remember back to flying all of those different airlines early on in my career, they just all kind of suck when you don't have status. So. Booking your own flights and doing all your miles with one airline, or if that airline isn't available, at least staying in that alliance, is a massive key to, A, making the status in the airline, and, B, having all these perks when you travel, when you fly, just making it um, less anxiety-ridden when you go to the airport. Um, There's a a very early, one of Casey Neistat's early... um, uh, 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 kind of viral videos on YouTube back, way back in 2013. It's nine years ago, or ten years ago. And it was about him. It, I think the video was like, buy coach, always fly first or business or something like that. And conceptually, that hasn't changed. And that is one of those big perks of doing all the miles with one airline. And by the way, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing this kind of sounds like a commercial for... Just for airlines in general, of course, I'm talking about it from my perspective with United. This is not an advert at all. They're not paying me to say any of this. This is just what you can possibly do to make your life a bit easier on the road. Anyway, Casey's, I'll leave the link to that YouTube video of Casey That's in the show notes. Um, conceptually, that hasn't changed. You know, Casey talks about flying all of his miles. I think he was with American. Uh, He flied just so many miles with American that he hit their top tier status. And he was so high on the status that every time he bought a coach class ticket, they would bump him up to business class because uh, at the top tier you get unlimited free upgrades on flights. And that is uh, that's something that's still true today. Um, I will say that it's a little bit harder to qualify for status today than it was 10 years ago. Back in the day, I remember that United was, if you wanted to make the top tier, you had to fly 100,000 miles a year. I was living half in LA and half in New York at the time. It's a 5,000 mile round trip. I'd do that once a month. I'd already be at 60,000. I'd fly to Europe and back and maybe once to Japan and I'd be way over 100,000 miles. And there was no minimum uh, uh, financial element. So now there's a minimum dollar spend with United, for instance. You have to fly um, now a number of Flights, rather than a number of miles. So the the requirement for the top tier is thirty six flights in a year. I know that sounds like a lot. We're going to talk about that in a second as well. How to make that easier to attain, and you have to spend thirteen thousand five hundred dollars over the course of a year. Now that sounds like a huge amount. Like imagine if if all you do is fly really on vacation, and then you have a couple of gigs. There's no way you're spending thirteen thousand five hundred dollars. But if you are doing 25, 30, 35 flights a year, they actually don't have to be that expensive individually for you to hit that goal. Now, yes, I totally agree that that is an outrageous uh, downgrade in terms of the the hoops they make you jump through in order to qualify for top status. That is something that has not gotten better at all. Um, it's only gotten harder to qualify. Okay, boohoo. that's, you know, something, here's one thing, first thing we get to that we don't have control over and i want to talk about that as a running theme through this podcast is you have to assess the things you have control over and the things you don't and as soon as you accept all those things that you don't have control over and you accept them as a parameter as part of the framework of you going to travel as a musician you can either accept them or not you can choose to be in the same orbit as those things or not but if you do choose to be in the in the rat race on the merry go round of travel and you know that those things are out of your control. You can't ever bitch and moan about them. You know, it's like the person who says, "Oh yeah, I'll do the gig for three hundred dollars," and then they get on the gig and like, "Man, this gig doesn't pay shit. Like, I need four hundred and fifty for this." No, 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 no. Back way the fuck up. You agreed to do it for three hundred. As soon as you make that agreement, that's it. You have no more bargaining power unless something horrific in the process happens, or they change the parameters of the amount of work you have to do. Uh, but basically speaking, once you agree, you agree, and I think it's the same. I think it's the same with everything, right? For the most part, I think it's definitely the same. If you want to lower your anxiety and make your life a lot smoother when you travel, I think it's definitely the same with traveling. So there are some things, such as how to qualify for the the status tiers with airlines, that are uh, out of our control, and we just have to figure out ways to perhaps work the system a little bit and 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 work it to our advantage, and. I'm going to give you a bunch of uh, ways to do that as we progress through the uh, through the podcast here. Um, and I, I made notes, so I'm actually following some notes here. This isn't all off the top of my head. I'm also totally uh, aware that I'm going to miss a bunch of things. I'm sure at the end of this podcast you're going to have questions. If you do, I, I fucked up. In the last two episodes when I was talking about gear and endorsements, I said to people to to email me and like DMs on Instagram. The email, okay, is not so bad. The DMs in Instagram... Are, I'm just never going to see them. It's like hundreds and hundreds every day. And some, most of them are like, hey, what's up? Or like just nothing to do with what I'm asking about in the podcast. So the, even the ones that are talking about something that's relevant and something that I want to hear from you about, they get lost. So use the Telegram channel. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. It's the easiest place. And when you ask a question in there and I either answer it on the podcast later or answer it in the Telegram channel, it's not like a personal reply to an email where only you see the answer. So many more people can benefit from seeing me reply to that one question. And I think a lot of people um, get a lot more value out of it. So the Telegram channel is definitely the place to drop comments, to drop questions. Uh, again, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, and let's get to some ways about the 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 getting that status. I did notice that when I looked at American Airlines, they allow you to use way more of your credit card spending if you have an American Airlines credit card to make those points up. And those points, they do require a lot more in terms of uh, it being, I think, 200,000 points to make the make the top, uh, top tier. But you can use the credit card um, and you get a, a multiplier every dollar spent. It's not $1.1. $1. $1, so you don't have to spend 200 grand a year. And if you are using it for things, like I know I do, equipment and travel and touring things and just business stuff, that really is one great way, it looks like, to qualify for American Airlines top tier. Um, I didn't find too much about maybe the most important thing or the thing I hold most important for myself. Again, this is not going to be for everyone, but I do tend to fly quite a few long-haul flights every year. i fly... LA to Tokyo, LA to London, LA to Munich, you name it. Like there they're, they're at these you know, when the flight is ten plus hours, that's long haul, and that is not something I will ever do in coach. Um and to be totally honest, I haven't flown coach in, in probably a decade or more. And um So that's really important with the top tier of United is they give you a way to upgrade, kind of like the Casey Neistat thing, but this is more of a process. You have points that allow you to upgrade a certain number of times throughout the year. You get these things called plus points, and I think you get 240 or 280 of them with the top tier, and that allows you to buy a coach class ticket from you know LA to Munich or something and to be able to upgrade for sometimes as low as 30 points. So when you think about having 280 of those bad boys in your account, you can get quite a few round trip business class flights for the cost of a economy ticket throughout the year. And that just changes the dynamic of how you work, of how you show up to work as a musician. When you have a bed, a flat bed on the flight for 10 hours, you can, you know, we're going to talk about fighting jet lag and nutrition and, and diet and stuff a little bit later on, but that is one of the big keys to not running your body down and running yourself into the ground. If you're stuck in seat fifty-seven K in a middle seat with your knees tucked under your chin for thirteen or fifteen hours, going from L.A. to Istanbul, you arrive feeling every minute of that flight. Uh, it's not a fun experience. I I'm, you know, I think back to the days in mid two thousands where I didn't have the option to do any of this fancy ass, you know, up the pointy end of the, the plane stuff. And those flights were brutal. I have done L.A. to to Istanbul in coach, and that was like never again. It was those moments that said, "Okay, how do I figure out how not to be back here again?" And it's not like I have the money to just you. You you can easily go and look up right now on any airline's website how much a round trip flight is from L.A. to London. It's anywhere from four to six thousand dollars if you book it ahead of time, and a coach seat is eight fifty to a thousand something in in that range. So. Whenever I'm flying, I'm buying a coach seat. I'm always upgrading to business. And um, it really changes the way you are able to operate on the road. And some of the other benefits of of that stuff I've talked a little bit about before, especially with the touring as a band leader, is the lounge access. uh, The extra bags, like it's the little things that really make up a, a massive portion of what it is to be out there. Um, you know, top tier with United, you get three bags at 70 pounds. So that's like two instruments or an instrument and a pedal board and a, a huge duffel at 70 pounds for all your clothes for a month tour. Um, you get, uh, um, what else do you get? Um, I think you get also, yes, your your entire, if you book your band on the same ticket, up to eight other people also get that baggage allowance, which is insane. You get complimentary economy plus for all your travel companions. So, okay, that's not, you know, premium economy. It's not business, but it is not coach. You do get more room. You do get a few extra perks. So if there are three or four of you in the band or, you know, five of you in the band and a tour manager and a front of house person, you can have all of those people in economy plus. Uh, for free if they 're all on the same uh, if they're all on the same uh um, ticket, you can also get upgrades for everyone else on the same um, on the same itinerary There are just so many perks as well as things like top tier status in other areas so it 's not just flying you know you 've got to maybe rent cars you 've got to get hotel rooms for everyone so with United you get gold status with Marriott you get elite status with Avis car rentals. Um, you get extra miles with every rental you make on a you know, car rental thing. You get even a complimentary access to this jet lag app, I think. It's just like crazy little things that seem kind of stupid, but man, they really help. Um, priority uh, you know, call, call line, but this dedicated number for 1K members so you can get through without having to wait 40 minutes uh, to speak to someone. Um, so yeah, a lot of benefits like that. Um, I, I think it's worth considering. Really trying to focus all your miles into the same place. If you travel a lot, again, what's the context? What what do you need? And what 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 out of this is going to work the best for you? Um, so let's see. Uh, hope I'm not missing everything here. Oh, here we go. Yes, you will still. Despite the fact that to qualify for United status, for instance, you need a number of flights and a number of dollars spent, you are still in the background making miles. You're filling up this mileage account with the miles you fly. The higher your status, the bigger the, the bonus is the, the on the miles. So at 1K, for every mile I fly, I get it's, it times 11. So if I fly 100 miles, I get 1,100 miles in my account. And when you're looking at like 5,000-mile trips, uh, it starts to add up. And you can use those miles. Those miles are currency. Those miles uh, made it possible to bring my engineer from Buenos Aires to Spain. You know I didn't have the money for this really expensive flight from South America to Europe, but I had all these miles. I was like, boom, made it happen. You know, I generally don't ever – that was a really exceptional case because really exceptional engineer and, and that was just what I needed for that thing. For myself, I don't ever buy – long-haul flights, or really anything over an hour um, with miles. What I will use the miles for, because it ends up being so cheap, are the short hopper flights in Europe. So, for instance, when we play Manchester August 23rd with the trio in a few weeks, August 24th we have to get to Monaco. And I'm able to get all three of us from Manchester to Monaco, I think for eight and a half thousand miles each. You pay the tax, it's about 20 bucks, but for $60 and eight and a half thousand miles times three, I'm able to get us on Lufthansa out of Manchester. There's a connection, not a big deal, through Munich and down to Monaco. That's $60. And I've moved my whole band from the north of Europe to the south of Europe from freaking north of England to the mediterranean and it's hardly cost me anything so i really try and rack up those miles and not use them for big purchases but make them you know use them for those quote unquote smaller purchases which would actually be kind of expensive like the cheapest i saw that flight was $200 each so we're looking at like 10 times less that was could have been $600 ended up being $60 plus a few miles so really worth keeping that in mind. Um, I'll use them for that, and I'll also use them for upgrades. If I run out of the plus points, you can also upgrade from coach to business using miles. Uh, unfortunately, on United, there's a copay with that, so you use miles and a little bit of money. still way cheaper than spending $4,000, dollars $6,000 on a round-trip business-class flight. Also, very important to note, if you're buying a flight with miles, You're not making any miles. That's one of the main reasons not to buy any of those long flights with miles because you're not – every time I'm on a plane, I want to be making miles. Um, So that's really important. Those little hopper flights, it's such a massive saving in cash. I don't mind not making the 300 or 400 miles that you end up getting on those short flights. So that's my concept with that, something you might want to think about. Um, Also, the thing of having to do a certain amount of flights a year, if we look at Los Angeles, for instance, we have so many airports in the area. We have LAX, we have Burbank, we have Ontario, we even have Long Beach, which is technically an LA area um, uh, airport. And I fly out of Burbank a lot. First of all, going to that massive airport. I don't know how people are in like in London or like Heathrow and Gatwick or Charles de Gaulle versus um, Orly, for instance. Of course, when you go out to the smaller airport, there are less options for direct flights. You are going to have to make a connection somewhere. United, for instance, flies to San Francisco and to Denver. Those are the only two places it flies from out of Birmingham. So I always know I'm going to have to connect in one of those places. But from San Francisco, you can basically fly anywhere in the world and Denver almost anywhere in the world. So for the sake of one small connection, one small hopper flight out to one of those cities, I get to avoid LAX, which is an absolute nightmare, as can be Heathrow and Charles de Gaulle especially and a lot of those you know, main airports in big cities where there are several. You get to avoid that and you get to qualify for a couple more segments going out, coming back. So that's how I get the numbers up. Um, One little thing that I'm totally okay with making a connection. A lot of people are like, hey, I don't do that. I just want direct flights. Okay, fine. Um, That is probably not the wisest way to play the game if you want to qualify for the status and get all those other benefits we've talked about so far. So that's one little way of getting your numbers up in terms of uh, the number of flights you have to fly, yeah, and just flying out of a smaller regional airport, you walk it's like three minutes from the curb. There's no lounge there. Okay, you 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 give up some some fancy niceties, um, but when you make that connection, like San Francisco has amazing, uh, ridiculous lounge that if you're flying business onwards to a to on a long haul flight, you have the Polaris Lounge, showers, day rooms, uh, amazing food. It's you know, you can make your chill out there. It, you know. To me, a day of travel is burnt. It's a burnt day, no matter how you look at it. So if I've got one flight or three flights in that day, it's still a day I'm, I'm out. You know, the, the difference in time that, okay, I have the, the 10 a.m. flight from Burbank, but it would have been a noon flight from LAX if I'd taken the direct flight. whoop de doo I'll take that two hours layover in San Francisco in total luxury with some nice food and take a shower and freshen up, maybe have a nice glass of wine and listen to some music and get mellowed out and then get on my plane and fall asleep. It's a burnt day to me no matter what. Okay, that's a lot about flying. If you have more questions about it, um, I'm sure there's so much more information I haven't covered, but I do want to move on to other stuff because i got tons of questions about the gear and how to get that on and off the plane and all of those things. So let's move on. If you've got more questions, check the show notes click on the telegram link drop me a drop me a line there the instrument thing it's a big one right the instrument and gear in general let's talk a little bit about it from the electric bass player's perspective first and then we'll sprinkle in how that is for guitar players horn players acoustic double bass players um drummers you name it there are so many so many lanes to get into with that but let's go with bass player and let's say you you have one electric bass um and maybe you have a pedal board. That's, that's quite a common setup, I would say. And the size of the pedal board depends who you are. Are you me and uh, John Davis? Or Tim, Timmy doesn't really use a pedal board. He He kind of sets the pedals up on the floor, kind of like I used to and how I'm going back to now. But I know... John Davis has that uh, Pelican case, which is actually like a rifle case or something, wide and flat and has everything in there. So it's not small. Uh, even Randy Brecker, when I used to go on the road with him before you got the multi-effects, had this behemoth of, of, a, of a flight case. It weighed, I don't know, 60 pounds or something. The thing was massive. It was so good when he downgraded to the, or rather upgraded to the multi-effects. But let's say you have an electric base and you have a pedal board. So, there's gonna be a big divide on this, I'm sure. Um and I was on one side of it for a long time and now I'm on the other side of it. So I have, you know, I have feelings about doing it both ways and check it. It's about checking the instrument or carrying it on. Where do you want your stress levels to be? Even with top tier status, a United Airlines, I don't feel like I can guarantee carrying my instrument on to the aircraft every time. First of all, on a lot of the long haul flights, the irony that the biggest freaking plane actually kind of has the smallest overhead. So the shit is not going in the overhead first of all. And trust me, I have tried I have photographs somewhere and I forgot where I put them on a drive. I took literally a photograph of my gig bag, which was the smallest one I could fit around my Federa. I took a photograph of it in every single United Airlines overhead that I could find that it would fit. And the, literally the tiniest, the tiniest like ERJ-175 or something, really the smallest, one seat down one side and two seats down the other, the smallest plane they have uh, in, in, in main, in, in, in kind of commercial flying, it fit in there. But on the 730, on like the Dreamliner, the the, the, the overheads were too short for the base to fit in. So even with top tier status, it's not going in the overhead on every flight. And trust me, I battled for 10 years with that every single time, fighting to the front, you know, even with the status and being able to get on the plane first, early boarding, pre-boarding. If you have 1K with United, you are on the plane before Group 1, But literally before. The only people that go ahead of you are global services, which is a whole invite-only situation, um, uh, active military personnel, and I think they do families with children under the age of two. So that's a really small, maybe maybe five people get on the plane ahead of you. And you basically get on the plane to an empty aircraft. And still with that, there's no guarantee it's going in the overhead. So I don't know when this was, maybe about 10 years ago. I think I was on the road with Chuck Loeb, amazing guitar player who's sadly not with us anymore. And uh, I used to tour with him a bunch. And we were in Japan and I was doing the whole fighting to get my thing on the plane. And Chuckles, even, <laughs> he didn't even have a flight case for it. And I, and he told me like 40 years he'd never had a problem. So I was like, okay, man, you had the greatest luck ever. I don't think I'd go as far as not checking it in a flight case. He's like, I just don't want to carry this shit through the airport. And he's a guitar player, so the thing is lighter. It's not even as heavy as a bass, although he did kind of have an electric and a semi-acoustic, so it was a double bag. Anyway, he just said, look, man, at some point you've got to give it up and just why bother? And I looked at him as we walked through the airport and I've got my backpack, I've got my heavy-ass bass with the pouches full of crap, I'm just like dying, I'm sweating. And he's got this little carry-on, must have weighed four pounds. Maybe, maybe it had an iPad in it and his passport. He was just breezing through Narita Airport. I was like... Huh. Okay, I want some of that in my life. <clears throat> so from that moment on, mm, I think that was about 12, 12, 13 years ago, maybe 2011, 12, one of the times we were in Japan. And I, from that moment, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to find the case that works for me and I'm going to check it. Um, what has worked for me, we should run through that a little bit, like you have lots of options. Um, and one of my first options I is I'd had this incredible like, anvil Flight case, like the most ridiculous, looks like a huge keyboard case that you could fit a motif in it, like a motif seven, and it's cut out with this super dense foam inside. Was cut out for one of my Federas. I think it was actually Matt Garrison's touring case from like a Herbie Hancock tour way back, or or tour way back in the day, and uh, he ended up selling it uh, not directly to me, but he somebody had it and was selling it for him, and I ended up with it, and it was freaking not cheap either. It was like hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and it was great when you don't have to carry it at the other end of the flight. So for all the pop touring I was doing when when we had to rocket cargo stuff and when I knew shit was gonna be thrown around or it was going under a tour bus or in a trailer, like on those long, you know, two month long US, you know, tour bus tours across the country, it was great for that when there was a, a roadie or a tech who carried it and and you know had to deal with it. But it added, you know, another 35 or 40 pounds. It's like not a, not a light case. Indestructible. You know, you have no problem checking it anywhere in the world, but not practical. So I tried that a little bit. I was like, there's no way this is working. Then I had the SKB base Safe, which basically allowed me to put my base in a gig bag and then put these two ends over and lock them in the middle. And then it was on wheels. So that was, that was something I was using for a while. But the, the clasp... And the strap, the way it was attached, was so flimsy that I went through maybe three or four of those, and it was super frustrating. I just didn't know if my base was going to come out on the carousel with the case in two pieces or not. So that kind of got real old. Um, SKB were very nice when I called them out about it on Instagram. They sent me another flight case, which was more of a flat, um, but way more bulky. looks like a gun case almost, and that was just too bulky. It was too much. And then I got into the Groove Gear Capsule which I've been using now for a few years. And uh, well, phew, I didn't use it for shit through the pandemic, but I did get it right before the pandemic. And I went to Vancouver with it, with Benny Greb and Steve Smith. And then I went on a European tour and it worked fantastic. I used it just now to go to Spain uh, to do my record. And I'm planning on using it uh, kind of indefinitely. It's a great way to move around. And the top of it is not hard, actually. It's not a flight case, but... There's so much padding in it and you can put clothes in there. I have all kinds of stuff protecting the base on top that I've never been. It's just never been an issue uh, so far. And here's the other thing. Maybe the most important thing, no matter who you are, what you do, uh, how you travel, how much you travel. Um, if you have a base, shit, if it's that precious, you've got to either leave it at home or just stay home, I think, at the end of the day. Because it's just so much stress to carry that thing on a plane that it is not worth it. And you guys know me. I don't travel with like a $50 bass most of the time. It was for a decade and a half was my Federa, That is one of the most expensive basses ever. And then it was the Mattison, which was very precious, of course, and kind of irreplaceable. And now it's going to be the F-Bass, which is not a, it's not a Walmart instrument. It's a serious high-end professional custom it's not i can't go to guitar center and just get the same thing again it's very very specific and i've got no problem checking it and it's not like i don't care of course i care you know it's my it's my main tool of work i care about it but at the same time i know if it gets fucked up and i had questions about this you know um someone was saying like hey i i carry two bases to a wedding gig that's local like do you really only tour with one instrument fuck yeah I do because I really don't care at the end of the day like it's a bass you know it's not a it's not a strat you know it's not like an irreplaceable priceless instrument that's 400 years old if I really have to if I get to Manchester next month and I don't have my instrument well we're traveling by train on that one so I'm gonna have it but like if I get to Monaco the next day and don't have my instrument there's someone in Monaco that has a P bass you know or over in Nice, or somebody knows someone as a jazz, somebody has a base, period. And I just got to the point where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't wanna cling on anymore. I don't wanna hold on to something so tight that my life can't exist without it. Now, That has actually, especially with what I'm trying to do now with the sounds and with the soundscapes and the the kind of experimental stuff um, that I have as part of the set, that is actually way more an issue with the pedals. Like, it's way harder to do what I want to do sonically without the pedals. We'll get to that in a second. But um, the bass thing, like, stop being so precious about it, I think would be my advice. And um, maybe you play a bass which is super replaceable, in which case awesome and if you play a jazz bass that's from like 1962 or like a, a 58p or something that's like freaking almost priceless and really irreplaceable, just go out and get a Mexican one if you're going on the road it doesn't fucking matter you know like I know like my, my buddy Nir Felder for instance is playing like a Mexican Strat and it's like, like he has such a unique sound and, and like he's such a recognizable musician and he doesn't he knows he doesn't need anything fancy and he made a connection with an instrument that... I'm sure if he tried to replace it with another, quote-unquote, just the same instrument, it wouldn't be the same. But it's also not like he's trying to replace like a a harpsichord or something. You know, it would be kind of similar. Like he didn't get married to some crazy-shaped, super elite custom thing that he was he couldn't live without. And I think a lot of people... Um, a lot of sensible sensible people are like that. And even if you are um, known for or do play kind of crazy high-end custom instruments like I do, trying to take the the security blanket thing out of the equation and just being okay with it, hey, it makes it, it doesn't make it, big deal, you know. It happened on, I don't know, a tour of, before the pandemic and all the luggage got lost coming from like Prague to Madrid and, um, you know, Everyone has friends' places normally i mean it it, it, it sucks if you haven 't been out there that much and you don 't know people in other countries, but social media can help that out and and people are just musicians are generally very nice um, and and you you can get instruments they might not be your thing, but they, you can definitely find stuff. look at Tim man like Tim I see Tim every time I see Tim LeFay playing he 's playing a different bass anyway. You know, and that's something I've tried to do at home when I'm practicing, just practice on different instruments. So I know I can basically do 98% of what I need on anything that I pick up. So well worth considering biting the bullet, getting a nice case like the capsule. I don't understand the mono thing. Like, I, I, I'm not sure I get that. Like, for, as a carry-on, it's fucking, it's just too big. It's so tall. Even if you have like a regular 34, 35-inch scale bass, it, the, the case just seems too too big and bulky if you are trying to carry it on. And then it seems too weak if you're trying to check it. So I like a lot of their stuff. I have an amazing pedal board bag of theirs, which is super dope. And I, I take my pedal board around LA in that all the time. And I even took it on the road and used it as a carry on. But just those base gig bags, maybe amazing for in town, uh, for traveling a car or van, perhaps, awesome, but not so much for flights. I don't think. Um, seen some of the Reunion Blues stuff. I think that's what Lefebvre uses. Uh, that's what a bunch of people use, actually, Reunion Blues. What, what, oh, I forget the name, Continental something or the other. I looked at them at Nan once, and they seem pretty, pretty solid. And this f based gig bag, quote-unquote gig bag, is really solid that my new instrument just came in yesterday. Um, I'd be interested to see how that held up being checked. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's my two cents on it. That's where I stand. I like to breeze through an airport with nothing to carry. Just my little little backpack, which is super dialed in with a couple of th- your phone charger, laptop, passport, boom, super low stress going through, it, you know, uh, uh, security check is a pain in the ass as well. Now, I completely let's move on to gear pedals and stuff. I completely fuck myself in that department uh, because I tend to carry on my pedals because those are more important to me um, when I'm playing my music than the basses. Uh, especially with all the weird, you know, little strange boutique pedals I use. So I actually have a Pelican case. It's the 1510. It's the carry-on Pelican case that's on wheels. It is super robust. I can fit... Well, if you're coming to see me, you're going to see a lot of pedals on the floor uh, on this tour. You know, 15, 16 pedals on the floor, plus power supplies and volume pedal, all that kind of stuff. That can all fit in that carry-on. It's a little bit heavy. Don't let them weigh your shit. But again, if you're flying all your miles and you have status, you are breezing through that shit. You're basically going through fast track uh, on, on 90% of airports. You're going through the fast track where they barely even open that stuff. Um, nobody's weighing anything. Everyone's everyone's like, hello, welcome back, sir, and uh, have a nice flight, sir. Nobody's giving you a hard time when you have the status. That's yet another benefit of that. Um, so I I do carry the stuff on. It speaks to another thing. It was somebody was asking a question about um, – customs and crossing uh, borders and the carnet and like having receipts for all your gear and being able to show proof of ownership. I have never in 25 years run into an issue with that until this past March when I went to uh, Spain to make my new album. And this customs lady pulled me over looked at all the pedals in the case. She's like, what are you doing? Where is the receipt? And blah, blah, blah. Like she really gave me a hard time. She's like, like you can't come in here with all this shit. How do I know you are not coming here to sell it or you're importing it or whatever? So I had to like show her pictures on my phone of like being at home and using that stuff and YouTube videos, and I really had to sort of plead my case there for a minute. It was a little bit awkward. So um, I'm going to have to address that, especially traveling with lots of separate stomp, stomp boxes that look like they could totally just be being transported to to be sold um, in another country. That's something I'm going to have to take uh, a little time to look into. But generally speaking, that has never been... An issue, especially with just an instrument, uh, there are issues with different woods in instruments that if somebody's been a real hard-ass, you know, maybe one out of 50 times a custom agent will know that there are certain woods you can't travel with, certain woods that are illegal to build instruments with, and you might have to have some paperwork for that. Um, If you have one of those instruments, you more than likely know that from the get-go. But if you're in any doubt, it's worth checking in with the builder or the manufacturer just to make sure you're cool with that and you have the necessary paperwork. Um, People have asked me, uh, do I have a backup plan in each city in case the base gets lost? The backup plan is I don't care. (laughs) That's so relaxing. And I'm just sort of at this point, again, it's all on a sliding scale. Everyone is at a different place in their career. I'm super fortunate that I'm not. 22 anymore and i do know a bunch of people in a lot of cities around the world and a quick post on instagram or or something like that or twitter will generally you know provide someone who's like hey man i got a base you can borrow it um and you know i'll do everything i can to like pay for that person's uber if they need it or give them free tickets to the show if they're not already coming you know half the time you find out that somebody's at the show and they have a base with them because they're like going to a jam session afterwards or something so You know, if you're playing at a music venue, you're generally around some people. Even if you don't know anyone there, maybe the the house sound engineer or the house backline people do, a very worst-case scenario, you can always rent an instrument. Worst, worst worst-case scenario, and I know tons of people who do this, even living in L.A., they go to Guitar Center, they buy an amp, they go to the gig and play it, and they take it back the next day and get their money back. There are a lot of options there, and that all... Helps to bring the stress levels down when you travel. Um, I remember traveling with Tim Miller, and he used to play that tiny Klein guitar, and the the the, the case was so small that he would carry it on the plane, look like he had a little tennis racket over his shoulder, and nobody would ever, nobody would ever see. And you know, there are, if you don't have the status, if you're not pre boarding, there are a lot of ways of doing it. It, it. I remember I used to make sure everything was buckled up and uh, nothing was falling out of the pockets, and then I would turn the bass upside down. So the neck wasn't sticking above my head, but the the bottom of the gig bag was just below my shoulders and looked like a backpack from the back. Um, I got that from Jojo Mayer like 20 years ago because he would do this a similar thing with his symbols where he would put his cymbal bag on and then put his coat on over the top. So it just looked like he was kind of a bit of a heavier dude. And I would do the same thing, turn the base bag upside down and then maybe put a, if you know, if we were traveling in colder climates, uh, it's not, it's not, possible if you're traveling around the caribbean or something but if we're traveling in colder climates you have a big coat with you throw that on and uh, just walk past them you know the whole thing of like engaging as you go you know if you're scanning your ticket to the left have the ticket in your left hand you're angled you're back away from the ticket agent as you walk up you don't hang out in the boarding area until you're you know while you're waiting for your group to be called you hang out somewhere out of sight, you know, all these little things. And then as you go up to the, the ticket agent and you hand your ticket, you know, you produce it, you pull it up to eye level and you you engage their their line of sight with the ticket. So they're looking just at the ticket and then they're looking down as you put it to the scanner. They're not looking for a bunch of extra bags that you're trying to carry on a plane, or little things like that, or you tuck it under your arm with the front strap, or you tuck it under your right arm if you're handing the ticket with the left. So many little ways to do it that I used to do all the time, but fuck it, it's just not worth it at the end of the day, in my opinion, and for the most part, checking the base is the simplest thing to do. Yes, you do run the risk of the base then chasing you around Europe. If it gets lost on the first flight and you're moving every day, Yeah, it's a Okay, you roll the dice on that. But you roll the dice on that with your clothes. Um a lot of airlines will, you know, reimburse you for buying new clothes if they lose your luggage that bad. I know that's happened to me before. They give you a 200 euro stipend, you go to H&M, you got a new fucking wardrobe. So there are so many ways around it. Uh that makes it okay to check the instrument and um yeah, it's going to catch up with you at some point. You're going to lose it here and there, but for the most part, I think it's definitely the more relaxed way of going. Um And, yeah, so equipment damage, moving between climates, custom basses, acoustic instruments. i got uh, questions about that. I know it's really different for upright bass players. I don't envy upright bass players. so many people who do travel with the instrument have to have a huge flight case, big enough for you to stand in almost. It's like traveling with a freaking wardrobe. Uh, I don't envy that at all. I also know a lot of jazz clubs, for instance, have pretty decent basses in their back line. I know that, you know top bass players that that I know upright players have hookups that they've developed over the years so they don't have to travel with their basses. I know cellists, you know, travel with their cello and have to buy a separate seat for it. Um, There are just so many different things. You know, it's a little easier if you have a trumpet and it just looks like a little carry-on. The saxophone thing, well, you know, I travel with Bob Reynolds a lot and that can be a bit of a lottery, but generally he's... Like 95% of the time, it's not even a question. It just backstraps and it looks like a, a weird-shaped backpack and he's getting on the plane and nobody's bothering him. And something that size will fit in the overhead, kind of no problem. Um, and then it, I, I got uh, I got a question about the, the whole customs thing and declaring stuff um, that we were talking a little bit about earlier on. And somebody said, does it help? take things like that as carry-on do you then avoid the customs thing well no because no matter what you take as carry-on or checked luggage customs always happens after you picked up all of your luggage so they're looking at what you have as a whole so they might not even know what you carried on and what you checked they the only way they would tell would be if there was a luggage tag on it um so it really it really doesn't help you have to go through that red or green lane when you get to the airport no matter no matter what that does actually remind me of something i haven't written down in my notes, but something that's a massive time saver. Something that is a benefit of flying um, with elite status on an airline is that you can be TSA pre-checked quite often in the U.S., Uh, but you can be TSA pre-checked in the U.S. all the time if you get um, clear or global entry. Global entry is, when I'm coming home, for all of you who live in the U.S. and travel overseas, is worth its weight in gold. The customs lines at big airports can be incredibly long. I mean talking like over 2 hours sometimes if you really get unlucky and 6 or 7 flights, international flights land within 30 minutes of each other and there's just, you know, th- literally 2000 people waiting to get through customs and there are maybe 3 or 4 lanes open. It can be 2 2 hours or so. But With Global Entry, you breeze past all of that and it cuts two hours down to less than three or four minutes. And the whole thing of passport control as well, it's not just customs. You go up to a booth, they take your photograph, they scan your passport and welcome home, sir. That's it. There's no pissing around in that immigration line. So that only works coming into the u.s um and when you're leaving or when you're traveling in general there are more and more airports using the clear system it's also something you get for free uh in the top tier of united i think that saves you about 120 dollars um all in all they're about like 1500 worth of savings on stuff like that if like global entry and clear if you make the top tier status so there are a lot of a lot of things in the wing column if you can go through the ball ache of uh, you know jump through all the hoops and uh, if that makes sense for you there are a lot of things that you do benefit with and clear is basically uh somebody holds your hand and you just walk straight through and put your bag you don't have to take anything off no shoes belt nothing you put your bag on the conveyor belt and you are through the the whole uh, security check in under two minutes so that's another thing that really speeds up your day um What I will close on is more of a practical thing about the jet traveling in general. And somebody asked about sleeping on tour, fighting the jet lag, exercise. In fact, there were several questions about this. They included like exercise, diet, uh, nutrition, hydration, all that kind of stuff. Let's end on that. That's super important to me. That's something I try and really stay on top of when I'm on the road. I know how brutal it can get if you let that slip. And if you think, oh, I'll just sleep and I'll do it the next day. Don't get me wrong. Sleep is important. Um, and you have to know about, you know, which direction you're flying in, how, you know, what you need to do to combat that. There are a ton of things you can do to help yourself, you know, uh, things I do in terms of like trying to stay, get on the schedule of where I'm going is really knowing at what time I need to sleep on that flight to try and be in the, in a similar window to my destination? Uh, blue blocker glasses. You look like you're 104 years old, but those things are, are awesome. They take all the blue light out of the out of your out of your eyes when you're on the plane, and, and really help you kind of shut down into some sleep. Um, green tea extract, compression socks, uh, a few few things like that. Also, a blue light for waking up. Uh, when when I'm trying to get up at the right time and kickstarting my day by having breakfast to really like get the body going at the right time, it, it's brutal. You know, if I take the thing I do most, I would say uh, well, the two things I, I have done most over my career is fly either L.A. to Europe or L.A. to Asia, and L.A. to Europe is really about trying to get that sleep on the plane. Flying east and then making sure I stay up that whole first day. Normally, I'm leaving in the evening, I'm arriving in the morning and staying up that whole first day and just fighting it as much as I can and being, you know, getting fresh air, eating on schedule, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and trying to make it until 10 o'clock. And normally, I have zero jet lag. Um, I'm pretty confident about that now just by going through those few small steps, being aware of the timing knowing what to do on the plane, don't stay up all night watching movies, especially when you're in business class, it's all fancy and there's like an open bar and there's like great champagne and there's a thousand movies to watch. You're like, oh, this is awesome. This is like, you know, and especially now with uh, with having a baby and being like, you know, things are like super chaotic at home. That's going to feel like a vacation, that flight. But I have to fight the urge to enjoy the bouginess and just kind of have the food and knuckle down and, and try and get some sleep. I've used like a Tylenol PM, just a half of one like I don't take any I don't do any drugs or any of that kind of stuff and I don't t- really take medication that well so like a half a Tylenol PM has generally knocked me out after the meal on the flight and I've slept all the way through so I'm, I'm super fortunate that I get highly affected by the minimal amount of that kind of thing I've never had an Ambien or any of those like hardcore things and never would and wouldn't suggest it either because um, you can do it naturally I think. Um, no problem. So, yeah. And then, of course, every day maintaining like, OK, but like there are so many opportunities. You go play a show. People are trying to buy you drinks. They're offering you drugs. Hey, you want to smoke some weed? You want to do this? You want to do that? Hey, I have this cocktail. It's the speciality of the house. You, know, you get that everywhere you go. And okay, it's fun sometimes to do that, and you're going to go to some dinners which are awesome. And but really pick and choose your moments. Know when you have a four a.m. lobby call the next day, or when perhaps you actually have the chance to sleep until nine, or when you're not traveling that far. Maybe then you can allow yourself. Okay, maybe this tonight. I'm going out because tomorrow is a bit of a lighter day. Make sure you you're, you're, you're getting up every hour. Like I have the Apple watch and it's literally, it's just reminded me to stand up because I've been sitting here recording the podcast for almost an hour. It's like, stand up, you've got to move this hour. That's a really good thing. Any kind of like fitness um, band for your fitness tracker for your wrist, great way to keep you in check and make sure you're up. A, A reminder perhaps every hour to make sure you're drinking enough water. Those really basic things that can get so foggy when it when it when you when you're tired and when you're wrecked and when you have got to concentrate on music and when you're on the go and you've got 15 shows in a row without a day off like the simple things can get lost really easily and really it's the simple things that you want to put front and center you want to prioritize those almost more than the music sometimes like probably you know the music is going to be okay so stop worrying about it like you're there for a reason and sometimes you know if you're a freelance musician simon or whatever you might even have to if you really need to take care of your body and your body's suffering, you might have to go into autopilot a little bit and like, play the show. like You know you can play the show. Don't worry about it too much. Don't overthink it. Just, okay, i got to play the show. I don't have to do anything super special tonight or run around the stage 10 times more than I did last night. Really got to try and strike that balance. And I felt that as a sideman. I felt that as a band leader. And it's taken a while to figure out what works for me. And just generally taking care of the basics gives me an incredible amount of energy to go do my job every night. Um and then I'm Mr. Here's the last note. Jam. Gig is over. And 30 seconds later, I'm in the hotel. I don't hang. Um, you know, It's going to be a tough one on the, <laughs> as the band leader tour because people want to hang. They want to get an autograph, a photo or something. It's going to be a tough balance to strike, especially coming out of COVID and how that looks. And do I really want to be hanging out with people as much as I appreciate them being there? My goal is to like keep that to a minimum, take care of my sleep, make sure I'm able to go and give... A maximum effort on the next show like the performance is really the most important thing to me not so much to hang with the people after although I know that is important to some people some people haven't seen me play before or you go and see someone you haven't played before it doesn't, doesn't have to be me this is for everyone and you want to you meet them, you want to shake their hand or you want to get a photograph and just be aware that maybe that's not the most important thing for everyone involved. And hopefully they've given you everything they possibly can in the show, which is definitely my mode of operation. I'm giving you every single last thing I have in the show. And I really hope that for the most part that's enough. And the after show hang thing is not too much of an issue if it doesn't happen. So... Yeah, that's a lot of information. I hope you were taking notes. I hope there was something in there for everyone. Like I said before, I can't reiterate enough. Everything is not for everyone. There's no one size fits all. Um, This is coming through the lens of what I've experienced over the last 30 plus years of traveling around the world. And we can talk way more about it if you have more questions. Maybe there can be a part two of this. I have a couple of things coming up uh, in terms of the podcast. I really... I'm enjoying doing this. The format is great. Uh, I have a couple of topics I want to talk about. I'm just looking at things that, hey, this is what I do all the time. This is something I'm probably qualified to talk about or at least just give you a look inside my process at. One of those things is transcription. Obviously, if you followed me at all, you know about that. It's something I want to talk about um, in an upcoming episode. Yeah, there are a few things like that. I'll play the new bass a little bit as well coming up. Once I'm used to it, we'll get some sound samples of that. Really really kind of into being back in the podcast format. It's a lot of fun. It's simple to do, long long format. The response, the feedback from you guys has been fantastic. So keep it coming. The link to the Telegram channel for questions and comments is in the show notes. Um, and that's it. Tour dates, uh, August 22nd through 26th. We're in Europe. 22nd London, 23rd Manchester, 24th Monaco, 25th Helsinki, 26th Viljandi. Tickets for Helsinki are only available at my website paging finland hello everyone in finland paging finland yanagustala.com we got to get some tickets moving on that that's the one i'm taking the risk on that's the one there's no guarantee it's all door money it's a hundred percent risk on my shoulders very happy to do it i want to do more of that going forwards just means we got to make this connection i know i have a lot of fans in finland because i get emails and comments and stuff from them all the time so we got to make that connection if you're there uh, let me know. I know it's summer holidays. I know people aren't thinking a month ahead for buying tickets. But for Finland, there won't be any tickets on the day. They've all got to be pre-sold because I'm doing it all through my website. and I just won't have the capacity to add to the guest list on the day because um, I'll be traveling. So yeah, let's make that happen. Manchester also got to move some tickets there. But I have no doubt that we will. And uh, can't wait to see you guys. Can't wait to put all of this. that I've been working on all the stuff I've just talked about for an hour that I'm actually in the middle of doing for myself. I'm also tour managing Bob Reynolds band now. So I'm doing all of that for him as well. It's super fun. I love it. Again, it's good to be in control. It's good to take care of your musicians. It's great to travel as a musician with the least amount of stress possible. We get to perform 10 times better for you when that is a thing. I hope you get something out of this that helps you do that for whatever situation you're in um thanks for sticking around this long if you did and uh, i'll talk to you guys on the next one